What's going on, everybody? Welcome into Tuesday's All Canadian. It is now banner season in U Sports football, which means we're going coast to coast talking about the conference championship. We've got the Dunsmore Cup, which just happened. And then we've got three coming up this weekend. So we're going to talk about two of them. We're going to leave the Yates Cup for Thursday's episode because you guys know that's where we've been working mainly this year in the OUA. We are going to be at Richardson Stadium. So it's exciting. It's a great time of the year for Canadian football. We've got some of the oldest trophies in North American sports being handed out. But on the professional side, there's some teams duking it out for one of those trophies in the CFL. Uh, we just want to remind you guys that Sawdust City Brewing Company offers brewery fresh beer delivered directly to your door. Visit their website at sawdustcitybeer.com to shop their wide variety of brews and to learn more. This November, while the season's still going on, use code CFL for free shipping on your first order over $100. Shipping is available to Ontario residents only, must be of legal drinking age. And as we get into banner season, as we get into cup season, get geared up for game day with Fox 40, the worldwide leaders in whistle technology. Tons of great products, tons of great coaching gear, boards, whistles, the tri-layer whistle mask, the electronic whistle, the whistle gator and much more at fox40shop.com and while you're there enter the code cfp15 to get 15 percent off your order again that's fox40shop.com the worldwide leaders in whistle tech yes cfl roundup we have What's going on Connor? playoff on stuff here. what do you mean What's, your michigan wolverines still winning hey imagine I'm that jim harbaugh can coach imagine that well, certainly the coordinators can coach. I certainly have faith in the offensive and defensive coordinator at Michigan right now. It all comes down to two weekends from now. But the big question right now is your Detroit Lions. Not, not winless, okay? They didn't lose. <laughs> they didn't lose, but they certainly didn't they win. They didn't win, but they didn't lose. <laughs> I was so hopeful. And then I saw that kick in overtime. I'm like, oh my God, this is, I texted you. I was like, this is a Detroit's pulling a Detroit lines right now. And they're going to tie this game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I was at work and I stood up and I was like, the Detroit lions are going to tie this game. They're going to do the most Detroit lions thing they possibly can and tie the game is like, everybody's saying, oh, it's the missed kick in, in the overtime. Like not really. It's a 48 yard kick in terrible conditions in yeah. terrible weather, it's the missed extra point that would have won you the game that you should have hit. That's where but, the issues lie. But they showed they can bite some kneecaps on their way to a tie. So wow, they most beat importantly, up, banged up. They beat Mason Rudolph. Like let's let's okay. And you have not lost in the month of November. So take the wins where you can. Okay. Yeah, you had a bye week. Take the tie. Counting. Take the ties where you can. <laughs> Here comes Kayvon Thibodeau though, and. Late first round pick, Desmond Ryder, Ritter, whatever his name you is. You want Desmond Ritter? Yeah, yeah. Wow. He's, okay. Okay. He's he, here's my here's my thought process on this though. He has put up not like not ridiculous numbers. That, like he's not leading the nation by any measure, but he's put up very good numbers, very serviceable numbers. His touchdown to interception ratio is great. He's only thrown six picks. He's led a non-traditional, I know, I know who do they play, but he's led a non-traditional powerhouse team to a top five 
top five team in the nation. Yes, who do they play? But he's also had one of the worst offensive lines in college football, and he's been able to do all this. You want to know my real beef with Cincinnati? We're going to stick on the Bearcats. Sauce Gardner, their corner. People are talking about like, oh, my he's God. Dumb. Who does he have to lock up? That's what I'm saying. Like, people are like, oh. Well, you know, he doesn't allow yards in coverage. Okay, is he covering Garrett Wilson? Is it he is covering the a Chris AAC. But he's not even covering, like, Jameer Dotson over at Penn State. Like, if he was literally in – first of all, he's not even covering the top receivers in his own state because the guys at Ohio State, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, like, those guys would tear him apart. And he might be nice, Sure. But to hype him up, be like, oh, he's the top corner in the nation. He's not covering anyone. You get to play the two-lane green wave once a year, every year. Like, man, who who is this guy covering? It's the AAC. Like, okay, cool. Okay. Enough, enough chirp in the AAC. Let's talk some CFL. Uh, Toronto clinching up the East with a statement win against Hamilton. But my, my take away against this game was, wow, if – any of those deep balls hit in the first half from Hamilton. This game would have been so different because they were swinging for the fences and they were coming up short. But if only a couple of those could have hit. Yeah, it certainly would have been a much closer game. But like flip side of that coin, your defense has to step up. You've been one of the best all season long. And where was where was this number one defense in the country that everybody was praising you as coming into this game. Where what happened? They didn't show up. They got tired. They got tired. Because they got tune out, tune out, tune out, tune out. Oh, one first down. Oh, tune out, tune out. Like you're just getting worn out on defense. And I know you gotta if you're the number one defense, you gotta play like it. But I was I was very impressed with Toronto uh buttoning up their jackets, crossing T's, dotting eyes when it came down to it and sealing the East and I mean, the hopefully they can get BMO packed on the far side. I know it's always packed underneath the TV, but uh, underneath the TV cameras. But uh, on the far side, it just looks so bad. Like there's just nobody sitting in those stands. Hopefully, hopefully they can. Even though it was a sellout, it yeah. still looked empty on the far side. Hopefully we can we can pack those fans in because they are going to have a home playoff game now that they did clinch there. But I, I do want to go back to like. One thing that really impressed me about Toronto was their defense because Hamilton still had over 400 yards of net offense in this one, but they only gave up 12 points. Toronto held Hamilton scoreless through the first half of the game, and then Hamilton didn't score until, what, midway to late in the game when Dane Evans rushed one in. Like They held Hamilton to field goals until pretty much the end of the game. Like I don't know. It was... It was Toronto's defense that really impressed me in this one. Now, I don't I don't know if you've seen this or heard this yet. I don't know if you've seen the depth chart coming up for this Tuesday game with the Edmonton Elks, but it's yeah. Antonio Pipkin under center. The goal and line Jonathan Zamora right now. At center. Let's go. Yeah. Big They're Z. going full they're going full backups this week, but I am not complaining. Uh it's also going to be Edmonton like trying to win another game. They're even close. though, you know, they are close. They're they're playing some good football, but just you know, bad teams find a way to lose games or tie them. Bad okay, there was an life. egregious. Let let's just go to it because there was an absolutely egregious call in this game. We were gonna go through this in in chronological order, but no, no, no. we're talking about it right now. That that pass interference call on called on KSB at the end of the game was ridiculous. 
was terrible. KSB slipped. Jonathan Rose was nowhere. Like he wasn't, it wasn't a shove. It was, that's just placement. That's just the DB figuring out where he is on the field. You're allowed to do that. It wasn't a shove. It was kind of him feeling where the receiver was at so he could jump the route, which he did beautifully. And then KSB just couldn't keep his feet under him. He's been sliding around that turf all day, and he wasn't the only one. The refs got to realize there, and, like, I know refing's a hard job, but, like, from my flag football intramural refing experience at U Ottawa, I would not have made that call. That was brutal. That was brutal. <laughs> That's why you're paid the big bucks, eh? Um, yeah. No, but I want to talk about KSB because I saw that touchdown – Yikes, man. He gets up. He's so athletic. It's not even funny. Uh, another OUA guy, Jay Dearborn, icing the game with a pick. He's having a good back half of this heat of this season. And uh, I mean, he just finds the ball wherever he goes, just always around the ball. Uh, so, uh, he is. He is so long, so good, so cerebral. His, when he's dropping back into coverage and he's got to read kind of that one to two out or one to two to three in, He's just so smart, and it, it showed on the play where he jumped the route. But uh, I saw DT talking about this on Twitter. There's confusion over whether or not it's Jacob Dearborn or Jay Dearborn. Can confirm, both Wade and I played with him. It's Jay. It is Jay Dearborn. I uh, I think uh, we should just, like, you know, CC Chris Shibley on the on the tweet and let yeah. him uh, settle the debate his for his brother. brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's go to the other games. Montreal over Winnipeg 28-14. Uh, no Claros. They were they're just kind of getting ready for playoffs. I'm not really thinking too much about this, but Montreal certainly in position to still get a home playoff game if they keep going. Uh as for the Calgary Stampeders, 33-23 over BC. Reggie Begleton, welcome back, big guy. Uh, they have cemented themselves in the playoffs, and I saw an early line that got leaked out. Uh, it was uh, definitely in favor of Saskatchewan. It was three points. Uh, three-point line for the Rough Riders over the Stamps, who are on a massive heater. Wow. Wow. I don't know. I think uh, right now, I think I would take Calgary in this. I would. It depends. It depends what it's it. at, though, because that's no, but still it's going to be. That still remains to be seen. Yeah. We it's, can say mosaic. Likely going to be in mosaic. And I think that's probably why the Lion is a three point favorite for Saskatchewan. It's more of a courtesy favorite to the fact that they're they're the number two seed and they're the home yeah, team. Yeah, but is the. Like it is really worth three points on the road. Like it's not like you're playing a rookie quarterback. You're playing Bo Levi Mitchell. No, but take into account the fact that they're the two seed and they're at home. Yeah, but I'm saying like you can be a two seed and be an underdog. Like betting favorite doesn't matter if you're like it doesn't. Yeah, I mean Toronto. Toronto was the underdog. Betting favorite doesn't. Yeah, this past weekend. Betting favorite doesn't mean you're the higher seed, right? Like. No, I know. I'm just saying that has to be. That's that's probably what's factoring in. To the to the odds makers. Either way, let's uh, let's move on to the Dunsmore Cup here because I've got more words to eat. <laughs> you do. You I called keep... <laughs> a Laval re- revenge tour this year. Early, early, I early did. on, calls a Laval revenge tour. I doubled I, down after they lost first. You did. I believe <laughs> I stayed again. firm with <laughs> my I Montreal Terrapins pick. I tripled oh, down man. for the Dunsmore Cup, saying. Laval is going to get it done at Sepsum. 
They went up 10 nothing. I sent Connor a text. I was, he was like, oh, I'm he was finally going to be ear. on the right side of this. And then the Caribbean put up 28 unanswered and just said, yeah, no, thanks. We're going to, we're going to keep this trophy with us. And uh, yeah. you guys can go home for the second straight season. And they, they put up 28 unanswered, but like where the game really flipped to Montreal's favor for me was when they, in the third, when they had the interception that they were able to swing the momentum with because they scored immediately off that as well. But let's talk about Jonathan Seneca because what a day he had. 17 of 29. For 272 and two. I mean, and for this team, like last year, well, 2019, last season, they were lost. Like this is a team that literally had to switch quarterbacks at halftime in the national semifinal because they didn't know what they were. They didn't know who was the better option to have Jonathan Seneca be able to come in, throw for over 50%, over 270 yards, a couple scores, such a difference maker for them because we know they're going to bring it on the defensive side. You know, their offensive line, their run game is going to produce, but now they have that weapon on the back end. And we'll see when they have to match up with a Saskatchewan, which I believe they will be playing at Sepsum for, uh, and then, well, spoiling your pick already, four. eh? Yes, I am spoiling my pick. <laughs> but if they have to match up with Saskatchewan at Sepsum, how how does that look playing against another top-tier team? Because we've seen them beat Laval, but they've played Laval three times. I want to see them on another level with another juggernaut program. No, I agree. And that's the thing that we kind of, like, we joked, but not really, like, about the Quebec Conference is that Traditionally, it's a run first. It's a run first conference, right? Like it is power run football. But you're right when they when they have to play a Saskatchewan in all likelihood here, they're a team that can run and throw Mason Nias over 300. And then they still had, uh, you know, they were still very productive on the ground in that game against uh, in that game against UBC. Now Montreal, they have that quarterback. They have that passing option that they've kind of been lacking and needing and it showed in the when we go back to the vanier from 2019 it showed there as well calgary was able to throw the ball and run the ball as much as they wanted to they ran a really nice balanced style of, of play calling and they were able to gash montreal every which way in montreal we saw them struggle to get offense going because calgary just knew that they were going to run the ball and that they couldn't really throw yes shabbat now kind of had those long gainers but that was splash plays here and there which are to be expected and i'm i'm really interested to see how if it is the huskies that match up with them how they handle the home field advantage that is sepsum those long stairs up from the change room the fan base sitting on top of you when you're on the bench it is a crazy environment it's one of the most unique experiences in u sports and being a, a road team that has to fly into montreal get to the hill Go up the stairs to your change room. It's it's so different. But we're going to look ahead at the Hardy Cup right now because Saskatchewan, Connor, and I have both said we expect them to win. But here's a little bit of the reasons why. We look at Mason Nias, and right now he's the odds-on favorite to be the Can West MVP and be one of the Heck Crichton nom- nominees. 275.5 yards per game this year, 16 touchdowns. He is on fire right now against UBC in that semifinal, 25, 37, 381 and three touchdowns. Wow. He is heating up. He, he was on this show 
earlier in the year, last year, I believe around draft season, he was on our show and he said, and we were talking to him and he was, he was, a, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to it because he was very Great honest dude. and open about, uh, you know, the leadership role and the, the amount of interceptions that he threw in 2019. He said, yeah, I, that's on me. I was reckless with the ball. I threw way too many interceptions. It's something that I've been working on. It's something that I want to clean up. And guess what? He, he went out, he did it. He cleaned it up. And like he said, he was going to do, he is one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. He said, look, I, th- I think I am one. I want to show people that I am one. And he certainly is doing that right now. He's playing absolutely lights out as is Toronto Argonauts pick Sam Baker, 148 and one last game. Absolutely mossed somebody as well. Nah, mossed two guys, same time. Uh, But yeah, 148 and one, like you said. Uh, But Sam Baker is a downfield threat. Like he is through and through a vertical weapon. Uh, He brings the size, the speed, the athletic ability to go up and get a ball. He brings that all at an elite level. It's why he was in camp with the Argos. And for them to get Sam Baker back alongside this offensive line, Colton Clawson and Adam Mackert, this team is so ready to take that step this week. And they're going to be doing so against a Manitoba team that, you know, doesn't really have any major standouts. I mean, yes, they played in the snow against Alberta, but Jackson Tachinski threw six completions for 70 yards and two touchdowns. He ran for 40-ish yards and had a rushing touchdown, but... Throughout the season, this team has been by committee. They have been working as a group to get yardage. And on defense, no one really pops statistically. But for some reason, they get the job done because they good play a good, solid scheme and a good, solid team defense. But uh, coming in against the star power and the size and the strength that is the Saskatchewan Huskies, I'm expecting the, the green and white to roll. Yeah, Manitoba is not a team where, like you said, like they have – one superstar, like one or two superstars. They're not a Calgary in the sense where they have the Phil Pop brothers that are going to run down the field and run all over you. They're just a good, well-coached, well-rounded team where all 12 guys are on the field and playing in sync. And it allows Manitoba to kind of win these games where it makes you do a double take like the win over Calgary. And and they had a they put together a good season. Obviously, now they're in the Hardy Cup, but here is where I think a little bit of this Manitoba. Cinderella story, if you will, is going to come to an end because Saskatchewan is just on another level right now. I, I just don't think that as good as Manitoba's played, I just don't think that there's anything that they're going to be able to do that's going to catch Saskatchewan off guard. I think Flory is going to have his guys ready to go. And I, I think that, you know, Saskatchewan is just too good not to win this one right now. And we talked about nice and cutting down turnovers. He that. He's got an eight to one touchdown to interception ratio this year. So if you're Manitoba, you need to find a way to force the ball out of his hands because with him in control and them at the helm, they are going to control the clock and control this game. It's going to be tough to get around a guy like Noah Zer, though. He's going to make it, it very is. difficult for you. That own line is just so big. But uh, we're going to move on now to the East Coast. The same effects. X-Men uh, survived a little bit of a scare uh, with that one, but uh, we're going to bring in some help for this one. We're going to bring in Ray Perkin, our AUS associate, who we have not talked to in quite a while, but he was out there at some of the games this weekend. I think he was in Sackville for that big Bishops win, but we're going to bring him in now to talk Gators 
X-Men in the Loney Bowl. So welcome in now, Ray Perkin. Ray was at Sackville for the Mount A. Bishops game, but he's going to talk to us about that one, the Exacadia game, and what to expect in the Loney Bowl. So let's start with the one you were at, where Bishops th- just slammed down on Mount A in the 23-5 to win, but uh, what, what happened in that game? What changed for Bishops? Uh, Bishops just had a good game plan of stuffing Mounet's run. Uh, Mounet couldn't get a lot going on the ground. Uh, and I mean, their passing game had struggled pretty much all season and struggled again, mostly on, on Saturday. Mounet had a couple of really good drives, uh, that ended up in turnovers. One was an interception return for a touchdown with about 45 seconds left in the first half, uh, which really was the kind of the killer for Mounet, but even coming out of the half, I mean, Aiden O'Neill, who was, I think, Mounet's best player uh, on Saturday, you know, he busts a 75-yard return on the, the opening kickoff of the second half, and Mounet goes two and out and kicks a field goal. And that was kind of the story of the game. Like, whenever Mounet got themselves in position to be successful, they just couldn't capitalize. And, uh, you know, Bishops, like I said, defensively, their game plan was to stop the run. They did that. And uh, it's not as though Bishop's offense looked spectacular. I mean, Mounet, uh, you know, we've known all year that Mounet has a very strong defense and they definitely still played well uh, on Saturday, but Bishop's, uh, you know, was able to do kind of just enough offensively to, to get the job done. And when we look at Bishop's as a team now, I mean, Louis Philip Gregoire is their workhorse. He had 18 18- carries on the ground three receptions combining for like 130 ish yards and a touchdown so uh it really starts with him in the backfield and is there any way you can see him getting stopped by saint effects i can't there is a way yeah i mean he he is the the basis of the bishop's offense uh that being said bishops ran i think three or four plays of a wildcat offense that looked really good and you know, I was kind of wondering, like, why did they only run it three or four times? And maybe it's just that's all they have at the time. Maybe they're trying to hold back and use some more of it this week. So that's something to keep an eye on. But um, Gregoire really is the the basis of the of the Bishop's offense. Like you said, he's he's the heavy lifter there. Um, Saint of X has a, a very, very good defense and a very good run defense. But, you know, there's maybe some cracks in the armor after, uh, after Saturday and the performance that Acadia had on the ground, you know, maybe, maybe there's, there's a weakness there that bishops can, can use to their advantage. And talking about, you were talking about good defense. It seems that bishops this year has a particularly good defense. It seems that this is kind of the identity of their team again in the playoff game against Mount a six sacks and this one, 10 TFLs, two INTs. Like what can you say about this bishops defense and what are they going to need to do to kind of, elevate their game going into the Loney Bowl. Yeah, you mentioned six sacks. So Remy Debian had four of them uh, and he had a forced fumble in the game as well. So um, just if Bishops is able to bring that kind of pressure, uh, again, talking about cracks in the armor from St. of X's perspective, we didn't see a lot of them in the regular season, but uh, you know, maybe Acadia put just enough uh, cracks in the armor for, for Bishops to come through. Acadia had, I think, four sacks on Saturday as well. Uh, so that, that's the key is just, you know, uh, at the line of scrimmage for bishops, whether it's D linemen, whether it's linebackers, whether it's blitzing some defensive backs every now and then, you know, just, uh, you know, putting as many guys from as many different positions into the box and, and across the line of scrimmage, 
uh, to try and mess with St. Effects as possible. I mean, that's what that's what worked well against Mount A was, you know, putting guys in the box and, and blitzing those linebackers, whether it was a run stop or or a quarterback sack. I mean, that's that was really the the difference up front in the game, I think. So for Bishops, I mean, really, it's just a similar a similar game plan, I think. But now they they do have a very potent and very powerful passing attack to worry about as well. So now, you know, it comes that balance of, you know, do we blitz all the time or do we have to drop more guys back into coverage? And that, you know, it's going to be a really interesting game on Saturday that way, I think, just when you think about it from a coordinator's perspective. And let's talk about that passing attack. And that resides with the St. Francis Xavier X-Men. Uh, Silas Fagnan and the X-Men put up a show uh, in that comeback win. I mean, came down to the last minute. But let's talk about 258 on the ground for Malcolm Bussey. Silas Fagnan with 300 through the air. Uh, this offense... While they needed that late game heroics from Fagnan and uh, Zachariah Kareem, like they still put up numbers regardless. Yeah, and all season long, especially early in the year, I was I was very uh, kind of sold on Saint of X as a, as a very good passing offense, and they still are. That it took them a while to kind of find uh, a powerful ground game, but with with Fagnan back there, you know he's very very talented, and I was reminded. Uh, over the weekend, he's still technically a rookie, uh, and I think has a very legitimate shot at being both rookie of the year and MVP in the AUS. Uh, Bussy's, you know, late in the season really came on and took the rushing title, so maybe he's going to make a push for that. But, um, but you mentioned Zachariah Kareem. I mean, he's really the number three receiver Saint FX, which is the scary thing when your number three receiver has seven catches for 140 yards in a playoff game. That's a good sign. Uh, Fagan's brother, Isaac is kind of the, the number one mm-hmm. receiver, uh, Benoit Cormier had a very, very, very good season as well. Uh, so those are three very game changing targets in the passing game. Uh, and with, with a quarterback as talented as Silas Fagan back there too. I mean, that's, uh, you know, a, a very, very powerful passing attack. Uh, but you know, unfortunately for Bishops coming into this one, now they have to worry about Malcolm Bussey in the run game as well. Uh, Bussey's been over 200 yards, I think, two games in a row now. Uh, he's just come on. Uh, Saint of X in the second quarter uh, had a drive. So this is keep in mind, this is after Acadia scores a touchdown. It's a long run, a 40-yard run. They're up 22-10. They pin Saint of X back on the kickoff. St. of X has a penalty on the return as well. So they start the drive on their own six yard line. Mm-hmm. St. of X goes 104 yards in 10 plays. Malcolm Bussey on that drive, 104 yards on 10 carries. <laughs> I mean, he, like you can't make that stuff up like this. He took over that game. And from that point onward, it was game over. Uh, after that drive where St. of X scored to make the score 22-17, uh, Acadia had 10 possessions. Uh, they had eight of them that were three plays or less. So they just weren't able to sustain anything offensively. Saint of X's defense kind of came to life at that point. Once they realized, oh yeah, we have a running back who just took over the game and we have a quarterback and three really good receivers. So I don't, I don't know why it took Saint of X so long to wake up, uh, on Saturday, but, uh, but when they did, it was lights out. And I think they, you know, I, I mentioned Bishops didn't do anything super impressively uh, in terms of the offense outside of a 12 play drive that ended in a turnover on downs to open the game. 
uh, Bishop's longest drive was six plays and it only covered 34 yards. So I, I do think St. of X has the advantage both in terms of uh, offensive play and defensive play. And then when you talk, when you think about special teams too, I mean, anytime you have Jim Daly as your special teams coordinator guy who spent years and years as a coordinator and head coach in the CFL, that gives you an edge that, you know, not any other team in, in the AUS is going to be able to have when it comes to special teams. So in all three phases of the game, at least on paper, I think St. of X has the edge. Uh, but I mean, crazy things can happen. If Gregoire gets going, if Bishops can uh, find some kind of uh, passing game or if they bring out the Wildcat a bunch and use that really well and just keep the ball away from, from St. of X, you know, that's, that's going to be how they win the game, I think, if, if they are going to win it is just winning the time of possession and, and keeping the ball away from Fagnan and that very, very, very good St. of X offense. And uh, that kind of covers off our Loney preview, but Connor has one more question for Ray before we let him off the hook. I do, yeah. I'm going to throw this one throw this one at you. I'm going to catch you off guard, hopefully, a little bit. I need some a little bit early predictions on awards before the season wraps up in the AUS. Before the Loney is played, I need some AUS season awards predictions from you. So I, I mentioned that Silas Fagnan is is very good candidate potentially to get Rookie of the Year and MVP. Uh, I don't know if there's anyone any one player in the in the league who had as dominant a season as he did. Um, other MVP candidates, I mean, you can look at uh, you know maybe a defensive player from someone on Mount A or someone in that state of X defense, but it's tough to really pick a defensive player for MVP. Uh, in terms of defensive player of the year, I think, you know, in my mind, it, I, and, you know, knowing I'm a Mount A guy, this may seem like a bit of a biased pick. I think Daniel Bell is a runaway candidate uh, from Mount A. But that being said, you know, St. of X had a, the number two or three defense in the country. So maybe someone like Ben Von Muldorfer, the middle linebacker, who had a couple of pick sixes late in the year, maybe he's a good candidate as well. He was all over the stat sheet uh, through the regular season as well. So those are really the only two prime candidates for defensive player of the year. Uh, lineman of the year, uh, in the AUS, it, it's an interesting award because that usually goes to a defensive lineman. Uh, and I think when you're talking about dominant D lineman in the AUS, I think Reese Martin from Mount A is the guy, uh, seeing him in person. I mean, Mount A lists him at six, five in the program. And I think that's wrong. I think he's, he looks bigger, whether he is or not. Nicola Klinich uh, syndrome. That's what I call yeah. that one. Yeah. And, and he got, so another thing in, in the game uh, on Saturday, Reese got banged up early on and that maybe changed the game a little bit. He, he finished the game. He didn't really miss much time, but uh, you could tell he was laboring a little bit, but you know, he, he is, he looks physically imposing and he imposes his will as well. So I think he's a good candidate for lineman of the year. Um, in terms of coach of the year, I think, I mean, it has to be Gary Waterman, Waterman right? Yeah. I, yeah. You know, six yeah. and oh, Anytime a team is undefeated in the regular season and has, you know, the number one offense in the conference, the number one defense in the conference is very yeah. strong on special teams. I mean, you kind of have to to give coach of the year to that guy. I think I've covered all the the major ones, but those would be my my predictions at this point. So X X X Mount A Mount A X X X is what we're getting here. <laughs> and I mean, there's a reason honestly, they were the one and two seed, though. Yeah, right? and when you look when you look at the records in the regular season, like say what you will about about the playoff game and how things turned out for yeah. there, I think you know six and zero oh and five and one in the regular season, it shouldn't be a surprise that those two would sweep all of the awards categories. I think it's uh, 
you know, that's usually how it is in the AUS as yeah. well. Rookie of the year uh, is kind of the only one that might jump around from from team to team, just depending on who had a good year. But like I said, I think uh, I think Saint of X's quarterback is kind of the slam dunk there. Absolutely. So thank you so much, Ray, for jumping on with us to talk Loney Bowl and AUS football. We might have to get you on next week as the AUS victor will be heading to our lovely province of Ontario to face off against yeah. either the Queens Gales or the Western Mustangs. So we That's might true. have to talk to you then and discuss something about a rivalry between our conferences. And before I go, just one thing to keep an eye on for Saturday, if it's a close game between St. X and Bishops, I'm not making this up. Bishops has not made a field goal attempt all season. So if it's close, <laughs> keep an eye on that and Bishops' decisions on third down if they're in the score zone. But I'm absolutely up for, for some kind of rivalry bet between the conferences. Uh, <laughs> looking forward to watching you guys cover it uh, from Queens on Saturday. Thank you. We should have a bunch of the CFP crew out, but you've been holding it down for us out in the East Coast. And congratulations once again to Ray. He is now the offensive coordinator with Holland College. The Hurricanes are one of the top programs out on the East Coast that unfortunately can't qualify to play in U sports, but they still dominate a bunch of other schools that don't play in the AUS. Appreciate it, guys. No problem. Thanks, Ray. All right, there it is, Ray Perkin, our guy out on the East Coast. Always great to catch up with him. It's been a while. I'm glad we were, we were able to have him back on. Love hearing from him. Always has uh, a lot of insight in the AUS. He does, and, you know, I'm excited for this game because I, I'm wanting to see if Santa X can close it out after that scare last week. Can they bounce back, or will they be in tough again against Bishops out in the Western conference we've got sask hosting manitoba and here in ontario we will talk about it more on thursday con and i will be there queens western from richardson stadium feeling like 2009 all over again man i'm excited for that one we will hit that on thursday that's going to close us out for now though but as we gear up for a huge weekend in u sports huge weekend in the ncaa and the nfl and the CFL, just big weekend for football, really. Grab yourself some Sawdust City beer. Sawdust City Brewing Company offers brewery fresh beer delivered directly to your door. Visit their website at sawdustcitybeer.com to shop their wide variety of brews and to learn more. This month, this November, CFP listeners can get an exclusive promo code. Use CFL at checkout to receive free shipping on your first order over $100. You must be of legal drinking age to get in on this, and it's available to Ontario residents only. And get geared up with game day at fox40shop.com. Fox40 is the worldwide leaders in whistle technology. Check out some of their latest products like the electronic whistle gator. And if you want 15% off, use code CFP15 at checkout. So once again, that is CFP15 at fox40shop.com. We'll talk to you guys on Thursday. For now... It's at Wade Zank, at Connor R. O'Neill, at CF Perspective. Stay tuned for all the great football content you've got coming this week.